We have been in a series of messages about godliness. We have, we've talked about what godliness is not in our first message. Sometimes you can learn as much about what something is by learning what it's not. Amen? And then in the second week, we talked about godliness being a mystery. We talked about the mystery of godliness, and we learned what? We learned that uh, I, I didn't like the word mystery as, say, a homicide detective. I didn't like it. Solving mysteries was very important for you to find out who committed a crime, you see. But in the Bible, mystery is a greater word. It's a wonderful word. It means something that was concealed in the Old Testament, but it got revealed in the New Testament, right? We learned the phrase, in the Old Testament, the New Testament is contained, and in the New Testament, the Old Testament is explained, right? It, these are powerful truths. We learned that moving from the Old Testament, which, is there anything good to learn in the Old Testament? You bet, you bet there is, amen? But never did God have the Old Testament penned for us so that we would try to please him through the law. He gave it to us to show us we're miserable failures at it. <laughs> we, we cannot please God on our own by ourselves no matter how much willpower we have, amen? We learned that in the New Testament, the grace of God was manifest. We moved into an age of grace, right? We learned that grace existed in the Old Testament, but it operated differently, right? We know it existed, and this is in review for those of you who weren't here. We only need look at the life of David to understand that grace worked in the Old Testament and was manifested, right? I mean... David's called. What do we remember David as? We remember David as a man after God's own heart. Now, if we call that a compliment, it's an understatement. <laughs> you know, for the word of God to call you a man after God's own heart, that's powerful. But don't look too closely at the things the man did wrong because it can cloud that truth, right? But God chose to receive David after a man, after his own heart, right? Well, then there's hope for me and you. We bathe in grace. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We are in the age of grace itself, right? And listen to me. The things that were rare in the Old Testament, God wants to make wholesale in the New Testament. He gives everyone the opportunity to be a man after God's own heart, Right? Are these not powerful truths? If I stopped right there and we went home, but I'm not going to stop, all right? I'm not finished. I'm not finished, right? But that, that wasn't even in the previous sermons, but it's true. It's true, right? So we've been bouncing around in the book of Timothy, have we not? We're going to read a scripture verse again that we've already covered, but we're going to approach it from a different angle. 1 Timothy chapter 4 Verses 4 through 8. Now, have we not already prayed over the word? We've prayed over it, right? So, get ready. Get ready. Amen? All right. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, if it's prayed over. Can you understand that? For it is made holy by the word of God and power. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Why is he talking like this? Keep this in mind. He is talking to a young pastor. 
and telling him what he needs to teach his people. So it bears repeating today. Amen. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I could talk all day about that. Rather train yourself for what? For godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Wrote a little synopsis, learned it from writing police reports. We, we write a little synopsis, and anyone who reads that gets the gist of the direction we're going in, right? Let me read it word for word. The goal of this message on the path to godliness is to stress the importance of exercising our spiritual lives the way some people exercise their bodies to get in shape notice i said some <laughs> you know hey it's january how many of you made any resolutions how many of you broke them already <laughs> you know let's just move forward to them we broke them already right all right so let me read this again everyone or the goal of this message on the path to godliness is to stress the importance of exercising our spiritual lives the way some people exercise their bodies to get in shape and to explain the benefits of disciplining ourselves spiritually and abiding in the presence of Jesus. Disciplining is not a popular word anymore. You know, if I tried to, uh, it, you know, if I were raising my children today in the presence of some people the way I raised them in this life, they'd put me in jail. They put me in jail, and all I did was swat my children with a paddle. That's all I did. But the people, the experts will tell you, that's no way to raise a child. You... Now, my, my son Isaac and Leah, and I'll tell you again, get ready. They're moving here. They're coming. They're bringing their ministry to this church because God told them to, not because I asked them. He's my son-in-law, and that's my daughter and two of my granddaughters, teenagers are coming to this church from Yakima, Washington, not because I asked them to. Don't ever, don't, don't cloud that issue. Matter of fact, I got upset because I, my vision of it was clouded by the fact that I'm the grandfather of these two granddaughters. Would I not want them to be here? I would want them to be here, right? And until the Holy Spirit disciplined me and told me to stop that because I did not call them, he did, and they're coming, right? He has a master's degree. He's been counseling people for 20 years. He's coming to this church, and he's going to offer these services to the people of God, you know? So you be praying about that, you know? Um, I just honorable mention. You need to get ready. They're coming. Amen? So pray that, that you know, God's going to continue to work the path out, you know, because they're selling things. And they're packing, and they're getting ready to come. They'll be here by this summer, all right? All right, so get ready for that. I don't know how I got to that. I was trying to grab that handle, but it's gone. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll move forward. Maybe it'll come back to me. All right. So um, once again, I want to read this. I gotta, I've got to jump. I've got to jump from this diving board. The goal of the message on the path to godliness is to stress the importance of exercising our spiritual lives the way some people exercise their bodies to get in shape 
and to explain the benefits of disciplining ourselves spiritually and abiding in the presence of Jesus. Now, once again, I've, I've taught you this before. If you're ever going to write a sermon, sit down with a pen, paper, or a little computer and start typing. And, and even if you do it, line by line by line, bullet statements only. Write down what the Holy Spirit says to you, right? So I'm going to share this in the way of an introduction. But, but before I do that, there's, aren't there several trailheads in Valdez, brother? Yeah. Pat Scott lives in Valdez. Come to visit with us, right? Pat and Josie. And at those trailheads, you stop, and there's a, it's a path, right? And there's a little sign there, just like you'd see at Thunderbird Falls or other, other trails. And what have you noticed about trails in Alaska is that the little sign will give you a little what the trail's called, a little information, what the trail's called, how long the trail is might be there, the, the climb and elevation, because most trails in Alaska start low and go high. There's work involved, right? I told this illustration to a guy one time. He said, well, that's not true. He said, there's the Grand Canyon. And most of the trailheads of the Grand Canyon start high and go low. I said, I can't argue with that. Except when you get to the bottom, are you going to stay there? <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? A trail normally is not level. Like the floor in your living room, hopefully, is flat and level, right? Right? <clears throat> Let me tell you this real quick. There's a preparation, and that's why we're going through this series of sermons on godliness because there's a preparation for moving in that direction when you partake on heading out on a trail and you're not prepared for it it can be life and death dangerous that guy that i was you know we were joking back and forth about the grand canyon he said yeah when i was in my 20s we me and another buddy we were traveling around and we got to the grand canyon well we're going to hike he said, we started down the Grand Canyon, then we had to come out. He said, you're right, you got to come out. He said, we embarked on this hike with only one jar of peanut butter. That was it between the two. And if you've ever hiked a trail like that, you understand you need to be better prepared than that. How did they find out? They got in physical trouble. How do I know this? A few years ago, I was a lot heavier and a lot more out of shape, and my brother and my cousin came to visit, and they wanted to climb just a flat top, just a flat top, you know. And, hey, I'm, I am the older brother, you know, and they're going to go. I'm a man. I'm going to go, right? We, had, we didn't have a jar of peanut butter with us, right? My buddy said me and my friend had to sit down, and we found that jar of peanut butter in that backpack, and he said we were just taking fists of peanut butter. He said, thank God there was no cameras because we were gouging that peanut butter into our mouths, right? I got to the top of Flat Top, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to tell you because this is a true illustration here. I got to the top of Flat Top, and I knew that I couldn't get down. I knew I was not going to be able to get down, so I'm, what am I going to do? At least I was smart enough to pray. You understand what I'm saying? God, what are we going to do here? I'm in trouble and you know it, right? All of a sudden, I heard these people behind me. And they've got this backpack full of tangerines, right? Easy to peel, but I didn't care. I almost ate the skin. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I ate two of them little tangerines that gave my body a sugar boost. And I was fine, and I climbed down as well as I climbed up. Why? Because God gave me two tangerines. You know what I'm saying? 
But I'm telling you, I'm going to teach you about the path to godliness today, and you need to get ready for it. All right? Let's, that's what these sermons are all about, getting ready for it. Enough of that. Bullet statements. Everyone, listen to this. This is the truth. Everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior has been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. If that did not happen, you did not get saved. But if you got saved, that happened. All right, next statement. You've been transferred from a place of spiritual impoverishment to a place of spiritual riches, whether you know it or whether you don't know it. All right, is that true or false? True. You have been removed from the kingdom of Satan and have been seated at the right hand of Jesus Christ in heavenly places in the spiritual realm. Let that sink in because in that place there is no sickness, there is no disease, no sin that can stand in that place. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we were more conscious of where we really are, that is more important than being conscious of being in this room today we'd be so much better off, all right? Okay, all of us know, now listen to these words. I'm going to make some statements that are so Captain Obvious that, you know, but they need to be said, right? All of us know the struggle that is to leave the worldly life behind and partake of the new spiritual realities afforded to us. It's not easy. It's not, it, many times it is, But, you know, it doesn't matter how many things God delivers us from instantly. All that that matters after that is those that remain. Those are the ones that become paramountly important. And the ones that we need to make. The ones that God didn't just yank out of you, they usually involve quality decisions on your part for you to enjoy the complete deliverance of God. I'm going to prove it to you, all right? So all of us know the struggle that is to leave the worldly life behind and partake of the new spiritual realities afforded to us. In fact, we all know what it is to bring the old life into the new reality. All of us know it. It always involves some struggle, at least some struggle, right? All right, listen to me now. Today, today, what a statement I can make. Today, we need to come to the realization, and and this sounds almost stupid for me to say this to you, but, but it's not. Today, we have Jesus within us. Oh, yeah, I knew that a long time ago. Well, then why don't you act like it? That's what the Holy Spirit said to me. Oh, I've known that for a long time. Why don't you act like it? All the time, every minute of the day, every day of the week, every week of the month, every month of the year, right? All of us can say, well, yeah, that's how we got saved. Jesus came on the inside of us, right? Then why don't we act like it all the time? Now, we need his help, but he's willing to give it to us freely, liberally. Make a quality decision that you want it more than you want the sin and it'll be driven out. Watch this with me. 
All right, today we have Jesus within us. The goal of this reality is the production of godliness in the life of God's children. The goal of this reality, having Jesus on the inside of us, is the production of godliness in the life of God's children. How many times do I have to remind you? You cannot blame the unsaved for the condition of this country. Can't do it. It, it, The responsibility lies squarely on the shoulders of God's children. Not being people of prayer. Because what did God tell the children of Israel? If my people, are you not God's people? If my people humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, God hears those prayers and he heals their land. He'll heal their land, right? So the unsaved are just doing what comes natural to them. Now we are supposed to do what comes natural to us and we don't. We don't. What, are, what is it going to take for the city of Anchorage, for the vision God has given for an Anchorage that enjoys and lives in and moves into revival, the prayers of God's children? God can speak at it, but if we don't buy it, it ain't happening. We have to pay attention to what is in God's market. What is in God's market? What does he have for us? Amen? And you've got to get the cart and you've got to go after it. Amen? And we must be people of prayer. The whole point of the salvation experience is to make us godly men and godly women. If we fall short of that, the mission has failed. Right? And that's why I believe godliness is so important. We've defined godliness as a lifestyle consistent with the character of God. And godlessness is a lifestyle inconsistent with the character of God. I got to read that again, don't I? All right? We've defined godliness as a lifestyle consistent with the character of God, and godlessness is a lifestyle inconsistent with the character of God. Do you know that it's impossible for people to consistently exemplify the characteristics of God if they don't know him? Oh, there's some people out there that are pretty good people, you know, but the Word of God tells us that anything that they think is good is rags in the sight of God. It's not, it's not holiness. It's not righteousness. Amen? If me as a child of God can't produce anything on my own better than rags, how can the unsaved stand a chance? They can't, right? And I only stand a chance because of Jesus. You only stand a chance because of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we, we, we read that, but here's what I want to get to you. How many of you know that I like to look for the nugget in the sermon, that thing that makes you go, Wow, right? Right? Watch this with me. First Timothy chapter 4, what it teaches me is that if you want to be godly, you must discipline yourself. You must, di- you must be hard on yourself. You know, you've got to micromanage everything that, that comes out of your mouth. Think about this now. And really everything that goes in your mouth. <laughs> you know? What, what happens if you are, you know, like I was? I mean, I, I weighed nearly 300 pounds. If you decide, I don't want to weigh 300 pounds anymore, what do you have to do? You have to micromanage everything that goes in your mouth, right? But that's about making myself better physically, you know? Even though I will tell you that in some cases, in some cases, obesity can be the result of spiritual weakness in our lives. I'm, I'll, I'll share more about that. Don't get down on yourself about that. Pray about that sort of thing. Because we all know that we're Americans and we can overeat if we want to, right? 
All right, watch this with me. So, you know, pastor, I like, to get, I, like to, I like to look at words in the Bible and go, wonder what the Greek for that is and wonder what the definition does, right? Now, I, I was so excited I let the cat out of the bag. I, I told some people. Because it's so funny to me, it's hilarious that you look up the Greek word for discipline and, and you want to see a word that you can't pronounce. You know what I'm saying? You can't pronounce it. You want to see the definition. Go, oh, that's so enlightening. And I looked at the word discipline. I looked at the Greek word for discipline, and the word is gymnasium. <laughs> I said, Father, that is funny. <laughs> Father, that is truly hilarious that the Greek word, and it's pronounced gymnasium. Guess what that means? <laughs> gymnasium for us today means a membership at Alaska Club or Planet Fitness or whatever. I said to Ruthie one day, listen to the insanity of this. I said, Ruthie, we're paying up a hundred and something bucks a month for the Alaska Club, and we don't go. So what's the answer? The answer is cancel it, right? Or go, right? No. Pay cheap at Planet Fitness for another program we're not going to use. <laughs> at least we're only squandering this much money compared to this much money, <laughs> you know? So I, I, was, I, told her, I said, Ruthie, we've, I've had a membership at that club, and, and for three years it hasn't done anything for me, so I think I'll go tomorrow just to see what's going wrong. <laughs> you know, if I show up there, maybe I'll see what's, you know, what's not helping me, you know? Now, now so gymnasium. Discipline in, in gymnasium, we think of gymnasium, we think of what we can do to our physical body to change things. The Bible doesn't see it that way. The only way in the Bible you see the word used when it says plainly that physical exercise availeth little compared to spiritual exercise. So gymnasium in the Bible and discipline has with you getting better, stronger, you know, more fit spiritually that pays more dividends than getting fit physically. Is getting fit physically a good idea? Not only is it a good idea, but it, it will help you live longer. Do all, all of those, you say, well, Father, I looked at it, and it looks like physical exercise it does a lot. Once again, the Holy Spirit reminded me, compare it to spiritual exercise, and you're going to see how much better off you are applying that kind of discipline to your life in the spiritual realm, the truths of knowing Jesus is on the inside of me. When I call on the name of Jesus, it rocks the world. The powers of darkness hope I never learn what calling on the name of Jesus, what difference it can make in our lives. Can you say amen? All right, so look, listen to me carefully. I had a guy tell me one time, yeah, I go to the gym, and I, I, I like the elliptical trainer because I'm more comfortable on the elliptical trainer. I said, then you're probably doing it wrong. Because <laughs> they have never designed a piece of effective exercise equipment that makes you feel comfortable. All right? They just haven't done it. Okay? They were not built for comfort. They were built to exact a price from your physical body. Right? So I'm going to tell you today, I'm not going to lie to you and sugarcoat this. I'm going to tell you the truth, but it's time we sign up, amen, and start going after it in the Spirit, be people. What is it? It's, it's the things we know. It's, the, it's prayer. 
It's time in the Word. It's feeding on the Word. I, I, I talk a little bit about hearing the Holy Spirit speak to me. And, and it never is an audible voice. It's just that one second I don't know something, and the next second I do. And I'm smart enough to say, I'm not smart enough to get that. <laughs> you know, the, the weirdest thing I've ever had dropped on the inside of me was, and it had to come from the Holy Spirit because I'm not this smart. You ask my youngest son, he'll tell you I'm not tech savvy. I'm not tech savvy. I don't know that stuff, right? I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could find a way to listen to the Word of God while I'm on an elliptical trainer, right? And on the inside of me, I heard this, rise up. There's an app for that. <laughs> now, I said, Father, that's funny. <laughs> to, to, to hear the Holy Spirit tell you there's an app for that, right? <laughs> listen to me carefully. I'll tell you once again, the technical world was given to us by God. It's the devil that thwarts it and makes things accessible to us that we ought not to access. So what does it take? Discipline. Access the good. Don't access the bad. God help us all. Amen? All right. Well, I thought that was great. Discipline. Gymnasium. Now, you can walk out of here today and say, I don't know the Greek word today. <laughs> you go to the gym to work out and get in shape, not to. Let's think about this. Tell me something real quick. Why do you go to the gym and work out? What, what does it do for you? Get you in shape. What does it do? It strengthens your body. Listen to me carefully. There's a point to this. You do not go to the gym to develop or, no, let me change it. You do not go to the gym to create muscle tissue, create muscles. You go to the gym to develop the muscle system you already have. Now, now some of you have already seen the truth of what I just said. When, when, when we go to God and we talk to him about these things in our life, we're not starting at ground zero with nothing. God just wants to work with the work he's already established in you, right? And he wants to build on that. And he wants to do it, and he will do that if we let him do that, all right? That's just a little, a little nugget there. You go to the gym to work out, to get in shape, not to create muscles, but to build the muscles you already have. The gym is designed to develop the physical attributes you already possess. You already, if you've let Jesus into your heart and life, you possess everything you're ever going to need, right, to live a godly life. I'm telling you that. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you you're inferior. Well, so-and-so is better at this because they're more strong-willed than you. If that were true, heaven would only be for strong-willed people. It, and it's not true. Amen? Are you learning anything today? All right. So the reality is that a lot of times you don't want to work out, but your health is more important than your feelings. That's true whether it's physical workout or spiritual workout. Sometimes when you know you need to get up in the morning, you need to go to the Lord in prayer, you need to feed on the Word of God, you say to yourself, oh, this morning just this bed... Beds never feel better than they do just before you crawl out of it. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? You know, right? You can even take the time to turn the pillow over and even feels better, right? I know. I'm your pastor and I know these things. Trust me. <laughs> All right? All right. The reality is that a lot of times you don't want to work out, but your health is more important than your feelings, so you must make a quality decision. 
Do you ever get tired of hearing me say that? Life for us as a child of God is a series of quality decisions. That's decisions that are hard to make, but once made, are designed for you to stick with it. Don't change your mind. Don't let up off the gas pedal. Amen? What do we say? More gas, no brakes <laughs> in, in this vehicle. All right? Okay. Listen to this. I wrote this note here, just a question, you know. If you are spiritually flabby, how many of you know you can be spiritually flabby? If you're spiritually flabby, listen to this carefully because this is a bullet statement I wrote that I pray God will help me explain it to you. If you are spiritually flabby, your soul is out of shape. It's not just your spiritual body that can be flabby. It means that your soul's out of shape. I don't understand, Pastor. Well, listen to me carefully. How many times have I warned you? Where is the battle? In, the, in your spirit, everything's established, right? And then you go to the body, and you go, well, my body is not lining up with that truth that is in my spirit, that pastor teaches me. It's there. It's there. But it doesn't manifest here. Why? Because the war is in the middle. The, more, the, the soul, your, your mindset, your brain, that's where you make the decisions. Nobody, you're going to do what the Spirit says, and you're going to do what I say because me and the Spirit outvote the flesh when they join forces, right? Man, you talk about a winning combination. When your brain lines up with and makes decisions based on what your Spirit knows is true, then the flesh can't win. Then you start seeing victory over things that you've fought for years and that the devil has beat you bloody over, all right? Shouldn't those things finally reach a point of change? Not only should they, but it's dangerous for them not to. That's that's how I explain it to people. Okay, if ungodliness rules, it's because you're out of shape spiritually. One thing that is true about physical exercise is there's a big difference between intending to do it and actually doing it. (laughs) I think we've already covered that pretty well. We wake up intending to go to the gym, but the thought of that extra time in bed overrules our desire to get in shape. Your workout regimen for godliness has to go beyond good intentions. I meant well. A lot of people mean well, right? It is going to require a decision to engage in a workout program to get rid of the flab in your soul. It's a requirement. You may never go to a real live gymnasium in this world again, but you better go to this one. It's the word of God. It's the presence of God. It's practicing the presence of Jesus in your life. All right. Unfortunately, most Christians are satisfied. Listen to this because it sounds like I'm taking a hammer out and tapping each of us in the temple, but I'm not. Unfortunately, most Christians are satisfied with one weekly workout on Sunday morning. I love you. Do you. Can you think of anything that I exemplify in my life that I love more than preaching, teaching the word of God to you? But yet I'll tell you, you'll starve to death if I'm it. I can't, I can't do it with one sermon a week. I can't do it. I can't make you spiritually healthy with one sermon a week. Can't do it. But if they only work out spiritually once a week and then the rest of the week do the opposite, they wasted their once-a-week workout session. What most of us are doing is going to a spiritual workout session on Sunday and then going to the donut shop on Monday, canceling out whatever workout routine we did on Sunday, 
turning it into merely a religious exercise in futility. I love you, and I love being with you. I'm, matter of fact, every Sunday, I, I have a good time. Have you noticed that? I love being with you. I love you. It's fun. We hug necks. We talk about things. We get caught up. We talk about prayer needs. We get ready. And the service is a good service. Don't take anything away from it. But if it's it and all you get, it's not enough. Godliness is much more than that. So we do three observations. One, you must use your membership in Christ to develop godliness. <laughs> Am I right? Well, guess what? If you have a membership at the Alaska Club and you don't use it, you don't get the benefits, right? But there, we, we have a membership. We have a family spot in the body of Christ, and we just don't use it, all right? You must use your membership in Christ to develop godliness. More bullet statements. It's possible to have a membership without using the benefits of that membership. We see it more in the body of Christ than we do at Alaska Club or Planet Fitness or Body whatever it is, Renew or whatever. At least I know the names of the places. (laughs) Okay, when you accepted Jesus Christ, you got a membership that gave you access to his spiritual gymnasium for the purpose of exercising godliness. You're not even asked to do it by yourself. You're asked to make a decision by yourself, but you're not asked to accomplish the goal by yourself. All right? The workout is not to create godliness, but to develop the godliness you already possess by virtue of your salvation. God's put everything into you. He's invested everything into you that he's going to invest. His only son, his only begotten son. What more could he give? What more do you want? Well, I just want him to, you know, pop me and and change me, take all the bad out, and and give me nothing but goodness. That's not how it works. That's why the elliptical trainer, if it's comfortable, ain't doing nothing for you. (laughs) You know? Right? All right, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us some things, No, all things that pertain to life and what? Godliness. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Even though you're converted, your soul is living in the flesh which still produces ungodly thinking, appetites, and actions that need cleansing, and it doesn't have to be that way. The word of God Is that word of God right there? Well, is that really true? That's what you're saying when you don't allow it to work in your life. You're saying, is that really? Is that really? And and who says that to you? The devil says to you. Did God really mean that when he said you can't eat of that tree? Do you think his ways of tempting us and dealing with us and attacking us have changed over the years? He's not that smart. The word of God says that He's limited in his attacks on us. Amen? We'll, we'll deal with that in a, different, in a different message. The reason so many Christians stay defeated for so long is that their souls are out of shape. You haven't done anything for it to change, right? Spiritual fitness needs to take priority over physical fitness. Have we figured that out yet? Physical exercise is profitable for a little while, but godliness is profitable for now all the way through eternity. That's a, that's a forever kind of thing. Amen? 
If you're working your, working your body out more than you're working your soul out, you have your priorities mixed up. If you spend more time at Alaska Club or any of those other places than you do feeding on the Word of God and time in prayer, you're out of balance. You're out of balance. Bodily exercise may affect the quality of your life, but it will not affect the quantity of your life. Get that down deep inside. All right, observation number two. Exercising godliness means practicing the presence of Jesus. The gym you need to attend to develop your godliness, your godliness muscle, is Jesus' gym. All right? Jesus is the source of all godliness. You know, some people don't pursue this because they really don't believe that they're worthy to, to be in the presence of Jesus. If you've accepted him, he's already living on the inside of you. How does he get any closer than that? And, it, and to that point, what's worthiness got to do with it? If Jesus has come to live on the inside of you, you have access to him and his presence and all that he has to bring. Amen? We need to get that down on the, on the, on the inside of us. So Jesus is the source of all godliness. Jesus, indwelling presence in us, is the secret of godliness. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Bullet statements. The more time you spend exercising godliness, the more you will see changes. Just like when you go to the gym and you have some muscles and you want to develop them after a number of, of decades. No, I mean, <laughs> seriously, after a little while, you, you can even look in the mirror and you can see changes are taking place. How much more effective is spiritual exercise? Amen? How much more effective? It's greatly when you exercise godliness, your spiritual muscles will begin to grow. Another benefit is that, listen to this, another benefit is that the clothes of the old ungodly ways won't fit anymore. Now, that, that should be enough to make you shout right there. I mean, hey, I'm telling you, that's shouting, that's shouting news, what we used to call it, right? Shouting news. If you want to grow more, get a workout partner. Do you know what's good about that? And it's important you find it throughout the New Testament. There were no loners in the, old, in the New Testament. There weren't any loners. There were people that were closely knit together and they provided accountability for each other. And I'm telling you, never in the history of mankind in the church has that been more important than today. All right? You know, one man to another man, not afraid to ask that man, how are you doing with this problem? I want to know how you're doing. And then that man can't be afraid to tell the truth about how he's doing with that problem, right? I, I, I can pick on men because I happen to be one of them, right? I know what the needs of my life are, and I know what I need to do to stay on top, amen? And we all must do those things. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit um, describes to you that you need to do, you need to follow that plan. It isn't identical for everybody, but there are common denominators, and the, and the most important one is Jesus. Amen? All right. 
Get a workout partner. Partner, Help someone else grow in godliness, and you can grow together while providing accountability for one another. Last observation. You cannot have God's blessings without cultivating godliness. It is a hindrance to God's blessings working in your life. God cannot tell you everything's okay. I'm going to take care of everything while you continue to act like you're buried in the world. If he blesses you with all the blessings that you want and all the blessings he wants to give you, it's his endorsement for your lifestyle, and God's not going to play that game. God's not going to play that game. It's not about God being even angry at you. It's about what we know we should do, that we should be doing, that we're not doing, and God can't say, okay. Oh, it's all right. It's okay. There's a lot that can be said about that, but I don't want to overdwell on it. <clears throat> the problem is that people want to be blessed, but they don't equally want to be godly. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be blessed, but when we disconnect God's blessings from godliness, we're asking God for something he's not free to give. It, it's a bad message. Think about it. Anyone in this room can agree with that. All right? It doesn't mean that you earn the blessings of God. Number one, we're just supposed to do what he wants us to do. Amen? And then let God decide how the rest of it folds out. Amen? I'm, my thing is, I look at my life, and this is not malnutrition hanging out under my chin. God has fed me when there was no food in the house. I've told you that. I'm not going to tell you again. I'm just telling you, what have I told you? There may not be any food in your house. What's my advice? Pray and set the table. And you know the story. You've heard me say it. Pray and set the table. Don't gripe. Don't complain. Don't get angry with the only source that can put food in that plate no matter what he has to do. All right? I'm telling you what God did for me, I describe as being just this side of making it magically appear. A man I did not know knocked on my door, so we won't be upset. I'm a regional manager for a grocery store chain. And God told me to bring food to this house. Is that any different than God making it appear on the plate? No, it's not. All right. All right. Godliness, listen to this. Godliness is the foundation of God's blessings in our life. It doesn't mean you can earn them. But godliness is the foundation of his blessings in and for our lives. It's not complicated. Let's don't make it complicated. All right, I've got, you know, I'm, I've got to where I like to do these illustrations. I think the wash machine one was a lot of fun. I think the football thing one was a lot of fun. Don't you, Mike? Think about this. <clears throat> think about what I call God's pharmacy. The way the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work can be illustrated by the workings of a pharmacy. Think about this with me. God is the manufacturer who has produced all the medication we need to cure the ungodliness within us. He's done that. Jesus is the doctor, the great physician, who knows what's wrong and knows what to prescribe from God's pharmacy to bring about the healing of the malady of ungodliness. But we also need a pharmacist to fill the doctor's prescription so we can apply the medicine to heal the malady. Are you following with me? That's the work of the Holy Ghost. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to deliver what Jesus has prescribed. 
How many of you need help? I need help. I can't do this on my own. I need help, right? Jesus said, if we abide in him and his word abides in us, we will experience the healing he has to offer. When Jesus calls in the prescription and the pharmacist fills it, that prescription has within it the power we need to get well or to become more godly. Godliness to be exemplified. Is this simplifying it for you? But the power in the prescription is only realized in me when I take the medicine he has prescribed. How many of you ever gotten a prescription from the doctor, got it filled at the pharmacy, took it home, and you forgot to take it? You forgot to take it. There was a medication that I was prescribed that when I got a blood draw, the doctor said, you're either dying, <laughs> you know, these numbers indicate to me that either you're getting exponentially worse with this particular problem or you're not taking the prescription. I said, I'm not taking the prescription. Well, he looks at me like I'm stupid. You know why? Because I was being stupid, <laughs> right? What he said to me was, what, tell me in your thinking why it is that you think you can forget this prescription. I said, well, I said, the prescription has warnings on it. I can only take it either two hours after I eat to two hours before I eat. I have to drink it with water. I don't happen to like water. I don't. You know, isn't that funny? I don't like water. I like water when it's really hot and I got really thirsty and it hits my throat and it goes, wow, that's nice. That's it. <laughs> you know, okay, I said I have to have water. I have to have an empty stomach. Um, you know, it tells me to take it at night. You know, and I'd go to take the medication and I was like, well, I, I grabbed a snack an hour ago. <laughs> you, you know, I've got something in my stomach. And so I found myself taking it about once a week. Once a week. You get that with me? Once a week. Are you following with me? And he said to me, here's what we're going to do. Whether you've eaten or whether you don't eaten, or haven't eaten. Eat, don't eat, I don't care. I don't care whether you drink it with a cup of hot coffee. I don't care, but take it. I don't care whether you've eaten or not eaten or what you drink to take it to get it down, but taking it under any circumstances is better than not taking it because we've got to get this fixed. This is broken. Fix this, right? Does that tell you anything? All right, now, this one you're not going to understand. Well, this one's easy. How many of you know that uh, we're told in Beijing, China, I read this, they have such a major smog problem that during the day it looks like night sometimes. And the Chinese people cannot see the sunrise. They can't see it. Sunrises with the people in Beijing can't see it because all of the junk that's in the air. They have so much junk in the air that we don't see the sun rising. Thinking about this with me now. There's so much junk in the air, they can't see the S-U-N rise. But sometimes there's so much junk in our lives we can't see the S-O-N rise. Am I right or wrong? It gets camouflaged. Christ can be camouflaged by the smog of ungodliness. By our old ways of thinking and acting. The answer is to clear up the smog so our view of the sun becomes clear. That's it. Think about this. I was a kid. I loved the Lone Ranger. And we're closing. I promise you. I promise you. We're closing. The Lone Ranger. How many of you watched The Lone Ranger as a child? Well, the premise of the story is him and a bunch of, of rangers got all shot up and he was left for dead, right? Do you, do you, do you care? 
the Lone Ranger lived, right? The Ranger lived, and while he was in this canyon bleeding to death, you know, but he didn't die, he sees Silver, the famous horse. How do you old Silver? Do you know the origin of Silver? Silver was a wild horse, right? Silver was a wild horse, and um, the Lone Ranger, when he healed up, he went and captured Silver, and he was going to make Silver his horse, right? But every time he got on Silver, Silver would buck him off. Go, go check the story. It's a true story. And it wasn't until the Lone Ranger kept getting back on and kept getting back on and kept getting thrown off and kept getting thrown off and kept getting back on and kept getting back on until one day Silver decided, this man's not going to leave me alone. <laughs> you know, this man's never going to give up. He's not going to stop. Think of it this way. God is trying to lovingly break us so that he can do something better with us. And he just keeps getting back on and getting back on and getting back on. He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. It's nighttime. We just let him be God. Amen? Because the Lone Ranger and Silver became partners along with Tonto. And, and, and why is this story so great? Because we never remember Tonto's horse's name, we don't care. There's no story. You, you understand what I'm saying? But the story of Silver, Hideo Silver, the Long Ranger, he didn't give up, he didn't quit until one day Silver yielded to the efforts that the Lone Ranger was putting into his life. Isn't it time that we yield to the efforts? His only son died for us. There's, there's no greater effort ever been invested in mankind than the one God has invested. Amen? So, what do I, what do I need you so desperately to do? You know, I, I believe that every one of us in this room, we love God. We don't always act like it. You know? I want God, and here's my prayer today, and I'm going to pray for all of us, that God will birth within us a hunger like we've never known before in our lives, one that we know will not be satisfied unless we feed regularly on the Word of God, unless we talk. He wants to commune with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to hear our voice. And I'm going to tell you something. He's a jealous God. He's a God that demands everything. He demands everything. What have we learned lately in our discipleship training classes? God says, love me. Love me. It's not a list of priority lists. Love him the most and then this and then this. and then, you know, He says, love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. And then all of these other relationships will work out. You know, the Bible, we're learning and being discipled by the word that if we love him, and solely love him, all of the other relationships in our lives will line up with that love, with that priority. A man cannot learn to love his wife like Ephesians chapter 5 says, love your wives like Jesus loved the church and laid down his life for her. A man is too stupid to learn that on his own. We're ignorant. We're uninformed. Those are harsh words, aren't they? They're harsh words, but we are. There's no way in the world. Why does the Bible tell us that? Because we were not born with the ability to love on our own. The Bible doesn't say a word to women about loving anything. A kitten brushes up against a woman's leg and she loves it. Why? Because she was born with that in her. 
I contend that when God knocked Adam down and took the rib out of him, he took everything he would need to build Eve. And Adam no longer possessed those things. She did. That's why a woman can love the way she loves. The Bible doesn't have to teach her how to love, but it has to teach her how to respect. Because a man feels like if he's not respected, he's not loved. So women have to learn how to respect. Men have to learn how to love. Why? Because God took those parts from Adam. That's why men say, I don't understand women. Guess what? You never will. You don't have the ability to understand them. And if you say you do, you're lying. You've deceived yourself. (laughs) You know? So if we're men and we're Christians and we're married, we have to rely heavily upon that love we have for God to help us love the woman in our life the way we're supposed to. Why? Because that's a form of godliness, the form of obedience to the word. Well, it's closing time. Thank you for putting up with me. I love you so very much. Ruthie loves you too. It's hard for me to think about that without bringing tears to my eyes. I've just gotten old and soft, I guess. You know. So I want to pray for you about those things we've talked about. Everyone, just stand up with me. Let me. Give me the honor and the privilege of praying for you for these things. All right, Father, we have surely been touched by your word today. You have given it to us straight by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I want to thank you for that. It humbles me, Father, to stand before your people and to open my mouth and to have words come out of my mouth. They are not my words. I'm not. Father, you know that outside of Christ, I'm not an intelligent man. My, my dependence is totally and completely on you to pastor this church and to teach this word. But Father, in Jesus' name, we, we know that you've placed a lot of truth in our spirit. All things, life comes. Old things have passed away. All things became new in our spirit. But it hasn't worked its way out. That's why Paul said we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That means that all the truth that you've birthed in us in our spirit, where old things passed away and all things became new, that has to work itself out all the way until the flesh is obedient to that truth. And the junk in our lives stops. It ceases. Father, drill within us today by the power of your spirit that we need to start feeding our soul on your presence, feeding our soul on your word, causing us, Father, to make quality decisions that dictate to the flesh instead of just letting the flesh run amok and do whatever it wants to do. And sometimes under the guise and the lies that it's okay, grace will cover grace. Thank you for grace. And I do thank you, Father, that it's more powerful than our sin, but that's what we've got to learn, that grace will not only cleanse us of sin, but that if we rely upon it, it will keep us from sin. Father, this is a fellowship that has a desire birthed on the inside of it to be pleasing to you in all that we say and do. After that, we just have to make the quality decisions to be obedient. Father, we're not going to try to develop new muscles. We're going to try to develop what you've given us, the truth you've given us. Father, I want to thank you once again for the great revival that you keep touching on in my heart. I thank you, Father, that it's beginning in 
the fellowships like this one where the people are reaching out to you, reaching out to your word, living lives, Father, endeavoring to be obedient to you, your leadership, your guidance, your direction. We thank you for grace. We thank you for cleansing us afresh and anew of all of our sins and all of our shortcomings. But, Father, as we grow in you, we have a desire that we're talking to you a lot less about those things because of the grip of it on our lives is being eliminated for your glory. Father, I want to thank you that it starts with a decision, and that's what it starts with because in ourselves we don't have the power, but you've given us the name of Jesus, and he's come to live on the inside of us, so you've given us all we'll ever need. Father, help even though one Sunday morning a week is not enough all by itself. Father, I just pray that by your spirit you would make it as effective as you would allow it to be. Maximize it, I pray, in our lives and cause us not to end up in the spiritual donut shop on Monday. Doing away with the good that happened on Sunday. Father, how easy it is to keep a Bible nearby, open it up, and share a few verses with ourselves. And then talk to you about those verses. Or there's an app for that. You got the English Standard Version Bible on your phone. You can listen to it. Someone will read it to you. That's good because faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I don't even have to read it, I, but I need to expose myself to it. I need to hear it. There's an app for that. Thank you for apps like Beyond Sunday that I have on my phone, Father, that encourages me to spend a minimum of four days a week in your word even that is a step in the right direction even reading a few verses a day is a step in the right direction lord i want to ask you to forgive us for the time in our lives that literally we've wasted forgive us for it father but we're not going to dwell on it we've asked you about it we believe that you're forgiving us and father we want to make the most of the time we have left in this life to be as effective as the Holy Spirit will allow us to be, and always for your glory, not our own. You are a good Father. You're a good God. You are the only true God. Thank you, Father. You're holy, 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 and you desire us to be holy. Manifest your holiness in our lives by our invitation, I pray. Now, Father, you've been so gracious to us to watch over us and keep us safe. And, Lord, I pray that you would go with us from this place. And, Father, I, I desire to ask you once again to cause your presence to be so precious in every home represented in this place that everyone who enters under the door sill of our home will sense the presence of your spirit for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Fellowship together before you leave this place today.